Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in Sydney in the 80s. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. But this season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes, and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, This season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Today on Loose Units, The Shadow Files, we are leaving the confines of Australia and heading to a place called Dyatlov Pass, which is in western Siberia, on the slopes of Dead Mountain in 1959. I didn't actually know about this story, but Dad got in touch because it came up on the news relatively recently because of some, I guess you could say some revelations around the potential... Look, it's a very, very strange case, but Dad, you took an interest in this story, and it is a very well-founded interest. So what exactly happened in Western Siberia in 1959 that has led people to fall, not in love with, but become deeply fascinated with this extremely strange case. Saturday morning. Yep. I'm in bed chewing the fat. Yuck. Which is a thing I learned in yoga. (laughs) Yogurt. Yogurt? Not yogurt, yoga. It's a tantric pose. Oh, good God. Jesus Christ. Anyway, so I'm in bed. Yeah. And... I I mean, I'm just going through the, the news, the ABC news, and there's this story that sort of piqued my interest. I started reading it, and I thought, this story is so extraordinary on so many levels, it's an unsolved mystery. Involving nine people, yeah? Well, actually... There were 10. The 10th person, I guess we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. No, we, we, kind, of, we kind of have. But look, this, this took place in the Ural Mountains um, mm, in mm. Siberia in a period, I mean, 1959, it's not a super... It's, it's not Cold a, War. It's, it's the Cold, Cold War. War. Yeah. Mm. And it's Cold War and it's cold where they were, which is kind of weird. So, although I guess all of Russia's pretty cold a lot of the time yeah. but the Ural Mountains are notorious now these that they were friends they were good friends as can be seen if one goes through and something that I can recommend to all our listeners 
after you've heard this story from our perspective, go and look at the photographs because this was a well-documented um, sort of a, a trip. Yeah. It was, you know, they, the, what they were trying to do, there, there are three grades of sort of, you know, scholarship in terms of mountaineering yeah. in in Russia. I don't know what it's like now, but back then all these friends and students who went to a polytechnic and, and they, they, they were... They were, they were smart people. They were well-seasoned skiers. And they also look like the kind of mates you'd have at uni. If you go and look at these photos, and Dad, I'm sure you can agree, it's mm. disarming how timeless these faces they're are. Beautiful. These photos, they're beautiful. Yeah. Their faces are... Look, you know, I think when you do something like, you know, the, the sort of work that you and I do, Paul, on a regular basis, it's it's a double-edged sword looking at photographs because it makes the whole thing more human. And some of the photographs of of the genuine, I, I, I could even say love that, that emanates from some of the images. And, you know, they, they had a common purpose. And the local Communist Party, bearing in mind it's 1959, the year your mother was born, Paul, you know, it's the end of the 50s. These friends wanted to achieve the 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 highest ranking sort of level of um, expertise one could in that particular field of of sort of mountaineering, cross country hiking, basically a test of endurance and stamina. And they were going for their level three. Now, because they're going for this level three, which everyone agrees is really difficult, they took a lot of cameras and they took journals and they took copious photographs and copious notes and they they hitched a ride with a with a sort of a timber truck into into the Ural mountains and the weather was was pretty ratchet uh, but they were they were seasoned um, you know adventurers and I guess if you're living in that region of the world you know, you need to be very tough. And it was going to take them around about eight days to do this trip. And I mentioned that there was another person, Paul. And this particular person, before they had really even sort of got into the whole journey, he developed sciatica and he made a decision to turn back. Now, that particular person that turned back lived into his 70s and he <clears throat> and it reminds me a little bit Paul of the person that misses the taxi to the airport misses the flight and the flight crashes it's one of those things I mean how would you feel if you let's say you and Tegan are heading to London something happens you some, there's an emergency here you know maybe someone gets ill or even worse or, or weirdly, your, your vehicle breaks down on the way to the airport and you find out later that no one made it to London. I mean, how would you feel? Um, I think it would haunt me. And what's interesting is this survivor, I think he passed away in 2013-ish. Correct. And yeah. it's my understanding that he had theories about what actually happened that mm. he kind of stuck to, that I'm, mm. I assume you're going to be addressing today. Yes, yes. But also, mm. Paul, at the very last minute... Yeah. Because this is sort of a, you know, it's you've got the local communist party, you've got a lot of sort of, I mean, it was all sort of about, you know, the state 
And at the very last minute, a person, just the university, the Polytechnic, decided that this person who was in his 30s, that no one knew, who was described as heavily tattooed ex-military, all of a sudden was coming along with them. Now, that's weird. It's never been explained. And then thorough investigations of this particular person in the preceding years has determined by looking at his military records that there is a lot of information that's been redacted. So that's that's interesting, isn't it? I didn't actually know about that part of it. Mm. I didn't actually know that because... Mate, there are so many things about this story that... I have actually become obsessed with the story. No, it, and, and Christine said to me, because she's become sort of, she's had to become engrossed in the story because I'm, I'm literally obsessed with it. Um, I've done a lot of research and I, I find myself thinking about this pretty well all day, going through different scenarios because there are so many things about this story that don't make sense and they've reopened the case in 2019 because what happened was they investigated this case and then it was shut down it was shut down completely and the the story that we're going to get involved in paul the site of this terrible incident it was cordoned off. It was a no-go area. No one was allowed to go there for three years. Okay? That's just bizarre. So the, the intrepid nine make their way up the mountains. It's not incredibly steep. It's about minus 17 degrees Fahrenheit, which is really, really cold around about sort of mid-minus 20 Celsius. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Sydney, as I'm sitting here, it's, it's around about 9 degrees, and that's, that's a heat wave in Russia. But here it seems pretty bloody cold. I mean, can you imagine just going out and just spending the night sitting, you know, in a park well, in Melbourne or ex- Sydney? These are nine experienced hikers who are pretty used to that kind of weather. Mm. They're hiking through the mountains. I mean, look. First of all, how long were they were they gone before people started to kind of get worried about them? <clears throat> well, they were supposed to, you know, once they'd done the the trip. What they were going to do is they were going to telegraph, <clears throat> send a telegram to their relatives. The relatives were waiting. Now it's understood in these situations that there's normally a two or three day sort of period of grace because they understand that. You know, you have a theoretical entry and exit point to this particular trek. So the the families gave it about three days, but then they'd still heard nothing. They notified the authorities, and the Polytechnic got together some students that were, I guess, you know, fairly comfortable in the snow, bearing in mind the extreme cold, and they cobbled together uh, with locals a sort of a, a ragtag initial group to go up into the mountains to try and and locate them. And 
they're heading into the mountains and they're all they're on foot so it's not a, a large scale operation at this stage because they've got no idea what they're going to encounter they locate the tent okay now when you look into these fascinating mysteries and this has been poured over for over 60 years there's been a lot of stuff written about it i can't believe paul that it's such an extraordinary story it's one of the great mysteries of the 20th century i and think that's fair to it. say yeah. and we didn't know about it and it's it's really really exciting so i've had to sort of you know really put my heart and soul into this and think about this from a police officer's perspective also my forensic background having gone to hundreds of postmortems having been involved in the most terrible i've actually seen the most terrible things that can happen to a human body as as you and the listeners know and i have a very fertile imagination as well i've really enjoyed thinking about this to me it's still a mystery even though there's been some revelations of late putting it down to a certain thing yeah i i, I, I don't agree i'm uh, totally that's interesting because um, i yeah i should point out that i i did my own research and went and watched videos by scientists kind of analyzing things and software recreations and all sorts of stuff like that and i came away thinking it's probably what they say it was but okay that's great i like that's, that you're on the other side of it oh well i am on the other side because i want to be on your side but there are things that don't add up okay so let's start with the tent right so okay well I, I believe it's been about eight days since they were you know seen mm. and the search party finds the tent what kind of state is the tent in at the point that they find it okay paul great question and i'm sure that a lot of the listeners are going to sort of you know do their own research but here's a fact that is so sometimes when you do research and sometimes when you look down on something from above, you see things that people sort of close to the ground don't see. One of the glaring sort of weird things about this story, and it's it seems insignificant, but it, it sort of whacked me in the back of the head, and that is that it was such a tiny tent. Did you consider that, Paul? Hang on, so... It's a tiny tent. That what, what, what on earth were almost 10 people doing in this tiny tent? I've not heard that point raised before. No, it's just... It's so fascinating. I mean, I, that, that to me, it's a small tent. And that, that's weird. Now, you know, they come across the tent. It's pretty ratchet. Yeah. It's got snow on the roof. And they come up with the hypothesis, which is one that is is spoken about in pretty well every single article about this particular case, that they cut their way out of the tent. Yeah, it looks like it's been cut open from the inside. Which but is Paul, a- Paul, mate, where, where do we get that information about cut from the inside? Well, he, one of the great tropes of crime stories is when you get to a crime scene and there's glass everywhere and they assume it's a break-in and somebody cleverly points out that the glass is on the outside, which means somebody broke their way out. With a tent, 
how do you tell? How, how can you tell if, if canvas has been cut? Great, how can you tell? Great, if- great question. Okay. Now, the only information I've been able to glean, which I find spurious, yeah. to put it mildly, with no disrespect to a particular occupation that I'm now going to mention, but they had a seamstress come into the police station. Now, I don't know whether she came into the police station or she happened to be like the case with the family law court bomber where there was a fireman that happened to be at the detective's office that happened to look down at a piece of rope. You know what I mean? So the fireman wasn't invited to the detective's office to look at the rope. Mm -hmm. He was there for another reason. So maybe the seamstress is a relative of a police officer. Maybe she was the the great-grandmother of Putin. Who knows? But she happened to be a seamstress. She looks at the cut in the material. Now, this has got me fucked, to put it mildly. I'm absolutely bamboozled how you can tell how you've whether the cut's from the inside or the outside. I get when you stick something sharp, you the knife goes into the material... I guess we'd have to do a bit of a sort of a simulation. So there seems to be a lot of credence taken about this particular point. Is it not possible that someone on the outside slashed the tent and there were people inside? Okay, before we get to the bodies, of which there are lots of bodies in lots of different places with lots of weird, weird things about the bodies, about... You know, look, it's just so incredible. It's such, There's such a variable array of things that happen to all the different bodies and their positions, which is so fascinating. But, you know, they talk about an avalanche. Okay, Paul? Yeah. Now, if there's an avalanche and things got really crazy and the tent has collapsed... There are also theories that some of the people in the tent were very badly injured and they made their way away from the tent. Can someone please explain to me how it is that all the skis, all the backpacks, there was even a meal inside the tent, so they were obviously about to eat. Why is it that none of that material was disturbed? How is that possible? I find that totally bizarre. The skis were in perfect condition, standing upright. All the packs were set up neatly. So that's what they're confronted with. So to me, that's a glaring problem with the avalanche theory. The, the search party make their way down the slope. It's not steep. And they come across two bodies facing or fallen in the direction of the tent. That's interesting. What I also want to mention to you and the listeners, Paul, is that there were, and this is seven days after they'd not been heard of, they found nine pairs of footprints leaving the campsite. To me, that's quite remarkable. 
that they're perfectly preserved. So what are your thoughts, Paul? Look, it's hard because now I'm retroactively looking everything through the lens of the explanation that was provided later. Mm. Does, does that make sense? It does, yeah. Uh, and the explanation provided later suggests that there was an avalanche caused by, and we can go into the specifics of what caused it and whether mm. it was even possible to cause it, mm. at which point the tent gets buried. Mm. Now, you know what? Let's do it now. So basically, they... they said How does they the tent... Out- how does the tent get buried, but not all the skis and all the backpacks? And, and I'm, why is... Look, I'm not sure. The, the, problem, the thing about the, the, this story that is so compelling is that no theory covers everything, right? Correct. No yeah. theory adequately explains every aspect of it. The one that... The recent one that actually... That we can link on the Facebook page that I think adequately explains a fair bit of the stuff is that they dug into the hillside to create cover for their tent. And Mm. then as the snowstorm built up, it added more and more and more to that kind of, you know, to this snowbank, which Mm. then the lower level of which collapses and sends uh, tons of snow onto their tent, like, like with the force of a truck, at which point they have to cut their way out. They stagger out. They're not completely dressed at that time because they're all asleep or, you know, they're Mm. in the middle of whatever. Yeah. And then they stagger off into the storm. Some try and light a fire to stay warm. Some yes. are critically injured. And because there's a storm, several wander into the ravine, fall to their deaths. At which point, the people who get there eight days later discover the bodies and the tent. And they find all this weird contradictory evidence and mm. odd trails and whatnot. So that's the kind of theory I now subscribe to. But I didn't subscribe to it until I read it. Mm. And I, I honestly can't recall what I thought. Mm. I mean, what, what, I, what I actually thought was that there was some sort of secret weapon testing going on and they... That's, Paul, very plausible. Okay. It's an area that they actually tested. This is a fact. Mm. They tested these special um, grenade things that would come down slowly under parachute. Right. They were designed to explode above, like, like an atomic bomb. An mm. atomic bomb never hits the ground, ever. It always explodes above the ground and then it sends out the shock wave and it travels across at high speed. These particular bombs, these grenades that they throw out of planes, it was a testing area for those devices. What type of bomb was it? It was a parachute mine, I think, was what I heard. Correct, yeah. And they, what they do is they literally viscerate and melt and sort of turn into jelly your insides. Okay, because let's face it, you know, weapons, they're pretty freaky. They're designed, these, these, these I was going to say these mad scientists, you know, these, these people are continually designing and working on better and better ways to completely destroy the entire human race. So, you know, it's pretty fucked up. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. So this is an area where there were known to be those types of tests. One of the weird things about this particular story is that pretty well every single person was, apart from a few, they were dressed in lots of other people's clothing, which can indicate a couple of things. It can indicate that in the moment of stress, they grabbed different garments within the tent the thing that really throws me and i don't and i find it very problematic about the hypothesis of the avalanche in the tent there are some people that say that a couple of them would have received the most horrendous injuries at the time of the avalanche that does not make sense some of the injuries are so severe there is no way you could have on foot made your way out of the tent okay so that theory does not ring true it does ring true possibly for four of the victims that were found a long time later once the snow had melted which we'll come to one of the interesting things about this story aside from the two that were found facing towards the tent in other words they believe that they were trying to get back to the tent bearing in mind it's night time it it there's a strong wind and it's freezing and they're very poorly dressed two of the bodies were found dressed in their underwear very very interesting theory which i will expand on in a sec you recall paul there was a tree about 200 meters from the tent which had a lot of broken branches about five meters up if i recall yeah correct now do you have any ideas about you know what you think caused that um the only two I can think of are fairly stupid. I think one is, well, a bear. But the second would be potentially they tried to climb the tree in order to get above the avalanche line. I don't okay, know. Okay, that's fascinating. I have not heard those two theories. Um, I have not they're, heard those. They're pretty weak. I, I, no, no, what? they're not. I don't, I don't know. Paul, every idea, that's the thing about these cases. If we could, If we could get together a lot of experts and a lot of just you know sort of not i'm just trying to think of the word i guess people with common sense and you you have a melting pot you know you have whiteboards you you just 
put down anything, no matter how silly it is, no one's allowed to say that's a ridiculous thing because that can prevent that person from you know, coming up with more ideas because you have to look at this from many, many angles. The two theories that I've heard, because what they discovered, and I only found this out very recently, they talk about the broken branches. Now, there there was the theory that someone climbed the tree to try and find out, try to be able to see the location of the tent. Because here's a, a, a bit of information, everyone, that I found truly fascinating, is that there was a torch left at the scene of the tent, which was turned on. Now, obviously, they know it was turned on because it's in the on position, even though it would have run out of power. One theory is that that is a very sensible thing to do in a situation. So if you illuminate your your sort of tent, you may well, because it's nighttime, be able to locate the, the source of light and make your way back to the tent, which sounds like a really sensible survival thing. They think that it's possible one person climbed up that tree to be able to scout and find out where you know, the tent was knowing that there was a, a torch. That's just one, one idea. But another idea is that this person climbed the tree to access dry, sort of dry timber to facilitate the fire. That, and they, there was a fire at the bottom of the tree. Yeah. <clears throat> but I've since learned that when they examined the branches heading up the tree, they found a lot of epidermis a lot of human skin on the branches that had literally torn off the body. Right. One of the people, one of the deceased, near that fire, get ready for this, listeners, and this is pretty fucked up, he had a lot of skin missing off his body, but in particular, he had a lot of skin missing from his hand. Can you guess where they found that skin, Paul? On the tree. No, in his mouth. Wait, what? They believe he'd started to eat himself. And the reason they think that is that one of the things about hypothermia is that you can go crazy. So he ended up eating himself. Is that not fucked up? Potentially, but yeah, I mean, look... Potentially. Yeah, because one of the other theories I'd heard was that, hey, what if they ate something weird and they all went completely you know off the deep end but that wouldn't ex- <sighs> no but because they did toxicology reports okay okay and there was a thing about did they just go out and have an amazing party they know they only took one small canister of alcohol and that was purely for medicinal purposes right okay so some of the people at the fire had the most terrible burns there are two theories I mean, it's amazing that they actually got a fire going in these terrible conditions. They believe that one of the people may have fallen into the fire, but there was a person at the scene, and this is kind of a little bit creepy, and maybe one of our forensic experts can shed light on this, but one of the people... And the weird thing about this whole story is that everyone's got different injuries. I mean, if everyone's dead and they're all... They've all got hypothermia and they're all in a similar sort of environment. Why don't they all have the same types of, you know, injuries? But one person out of the nine had the most 
extraordinary grey fluid oozing out of their mouth. That would not have been a pleasant sight. In all my experience, I have never seen grey fluid coming out of someone's mouth. Is it okay, possible? That's... Does that lend credence to the, you know, they all ate some weird mushrooms kind of theory? Except coming back to toxicology. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, so this is what they're confronted with. They're trying to sort of figure out whether, you know, they had lots of theories at the time. One of the strong theories from the police perspective was that it had been a murder. Um, now, there are a lot of photographs, and I mentioned the photographs in the journals, Paul. Get ready for this. One of the nine, when he was found deceased, he had his camera around his neck, which takes me back to the initial extreme, mysterious, frightening, traumatic event that instigated this entire situation, i.e. the the rapid escape from the tent, why would someone put a camera around their neck? Let's face it, Paul. If your house is on fire and you and Tegan at two in the morning wake up and your place is full of smoke... You get the fuck out of there. You don't go looking for a camera. So what you're suggesting is that something really horrible and weird was going on and potentially they intended to... Document. Document it, yep. Okay. Because why would you leave a tent in a storm, in your fucking underpants with no shoes, and have a camera? It just... Unless that person slept with their camera around their neck. No, I don't wear that. Yeah. The last photograph, the, when, when the authorities... We haven't even got to the final four people. So <clears throat> what they believe happened is that four of them kept travelling past the tree where some people set a fire up. So they believe that there was a split in the group. For whatever reason, it basically, the group halved, divided itself into two groups. The group that kept going past the tree, they believe that they made a snow cave, kind of an igloo. And little did they know that it was above a moving river. So at some point, they believe that their the floor of their snow cave collapsed. They went falling down, down, down into this, basically a river, where they... Well, look, that's where their injuries were described as... It was similar to the injuries you would expect if you'd been in a terrible motor vehicle accident. Mm-hmm. And you can just imagine. Those Broken ribs, of, everything smashed yeah, up. Yeah. You know, just completely fucked. You know, and they do talk about one of the women in that group of four that had her lips, um, her lips were missing. She had some kind of weird things, um, but that could have been as a result of when the snow began to thaw, some 
some rodents may have come in and started picking at the soft well i guess it was you know still pretty hard but you know at the flesh i i just find that a bit weird i think if animals had found a body well actually for you know do they just sample the lips and then just kind of walk away and is it possible that i mean because apparently one of the people one of the victims their eyebrows were missing did you hear that yes yeah which is and then you see that's the one that and the burned hands naturally lend credence not credence maybe they add fuel to the fire of the conspiracy theory about the you know f- stumbling upon a secret nuclear test site mm. but everything mm. which everything we're talking about here in my mind at least seems to be backing up the idea that no there was a avalanche and they all panicked and the storm got them mm. but paul are you aware that the four people that were in the river mm. All of their clothing registered, um, you know, with the Geiger counter. High levels of radiation. Can that not be explained away by the fact that apparently they used lamps at the time that no. had some sort of weird phosphorus, you know? No. No? No. That's, that's utterly discredited. Okay. What they have found yep. is that a couple of these people had actually worked at a nuclear reactor that had exploded, which is amazing. But then as someone said, uh, and, and I think this is really interesting, Paul, why would you test someone's clothing for radioactivity? Seriously? Why yeah. would you? Mm. That's bizarre. Mm. I would like to know whether the clothing was tested on site if it was that's absolutely spooky yeah and freaky okay and that makes me think um at least military kgb and as someone pointed out an expert in nuclear medicine and this is very interesting one of those tiny tiny little bits of information that's just there often overlooked this particular person said that these people had been in a basically a flowing current fresh water for some time many days actually many many weeks they still registered a strong radioactive um you know numerical number can you imagine this particular person espoused how high that dose would have been if they hadn't have been in running water yeah that's an interesting point okay that's very interesting yeah and let's talk about some of the more crazy theories, Paul. There's the there's the the very interesting but ridiculous theory, kind of, about the Yeti. Um, you're laughing. Yeah, look, I, I look like anyone else. I love the idea of a Yeti tearing nine hikers limb from limb and ripping someone's lips off. But the fact mm. is, Dad, I mean, it's not. Look, it's a fun theory. True. I mean, as fun as you can get when nine lives have been snuffed out. But it's not. Mm. I mean. Dad, come on, it's a Yeti. Yeah. Like... I agree, that, but that's just one of the theories. The, the military um, operation with, they, with those, those explosive devices under parachute, mm-hmm. interesting. I, I'm going out on a limb here, excuse the pun in relation to all the broken branches on that tree. Um, 
my gut feeling is I don't agree with the avalanche at all. <laughs> at all? No. At all. I just don't I just think it's I don't I don't I don't think that's the case. I have a theory, Paul. Uh-huh. And it's a strong theory based yeah. on my gut feeling. And that is that it's always going to be a mystery. That's a fact. You can want to solve these problems, obviously. You can want closure. But that's not how the real world works. There are lots and lots of mysteries in the world that have never been solved. Sure. My strong feeling is that something that night, and it doesn't really matter what it is, it is an event that led to all the circumstances that happened after something that triggered a response in these people that was irrational. Okay. And I believe, because there's a the last photograph, the last photograph that they developed is looking up into the sky where there are these circles of light, all different sizes. There were numerous people from the surrounds that commented on these orange lights over the sky around that time. Look, I'll meet you in the middle. I will I will pretty assertively discount fucking UFOs or whatever, but I will say that when people said it was military testing and they were kind of killed for wandering into a site or their connection to something or you know, that I find interesting and within the realm of plausibility, right? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm with you, but what what I'd like to say, Paul, is that I'm not putting this down to anything in particular. What I'm saying is that on that night, these people who were in a tent, they were about to eat, might I add, Paul, because there was a meal discovered that was set up a little bit like the famous Mary Celeste, another unsolved mystery. Mm-hmm. I believe that something so terrifying so horrific so scary triggered an insane response and it could have happened with just one person Mm -hmm. and then rapidly just spread can you imagine if you're camping it's it's night time you're in a strange place in a little tent and all of a sudden something there's this terrible noise or there's this something just weird and you begin to freak out and that has this contagion where everyone goes and it becomes this mass hysteria it's it's panic there's also this theory about the hyperbaric winds have you heard about that no i have not oh mate it's so incredible where these winds and this is a fact this is a scientific fact where these winds that travel around mountains can can sort of reach this harmonic point where they are known to affect the state of mind of people that experience it it actually alters their their mind they become crazy that is not a it's not a mad wacky theory 
there are certain winds that in a weird way can create this this tone and it sort of goes through your mind and body it's it's fucked up that's yeah, pretty wild so, yeah. so there are so many things paul but i think we all agree something happened that caused sane people to act irrationally yep and i find this story enthralling fascinating and unsolved well we might never know exactly what happened we probably won't ever know exactly what happened on that mountain in that pass but we are going to on our facebook page post a couple of things for you we'll post some photos of the group of hikers and again it's incredible how much they just look like a bunch of friends it's just it's timeless and it's very upsetting but it's also incredible how well documented this whole thing is and how unsolvable this whole thing is we're also going to post the video of the study that the crew did into this possible avalanche theory. But if you have any theories as to how this happened and what actually happened that night over 60 years ago, head across to facebook.com forward slash loose units and weigh in. Dad, this has been a really odd, really odd, but extremely thought-provoking episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. And it's been a nice break from, because, you know, typically... We look at locations around Australia, so it's been very, very nice to actually stray outside our borders and go somewhere different. Mm-hmm. So, I agree. Thank you for bringing this case to our door. We will be back later this week with an episode of Loose Units, Loose Ends, our very odd spin-off podcast where we talk about things that aren't necessarily true crime related, so make sure you tune in for that. It's every single week that we do that. Uh, but stay safe, everyone. Have a great week, and we will see you soon for more Loose Units. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.